0: Thank you for listening to the First Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. Here you will be able to listen to all of our Sunday morning sermons. Be sure to hit the subscribe or follow button so you don't miss a sermon. Enjoy today's message. Thy kingdom come I will be now, on earth. As it is if you're new today, first time with us, I just want you to know we don't do that all the time. It's not some cult that you just walked into. I'm, <laughs> some of you laugh, some of you are concerned. I'm preaching through the Sermon on the Mount, and today our message is entitled, Heart Treasure. And uh, I'm just so grateful that you've joined us. Boy, it's nice to preach to a full room. I, I want to say that again. It's nice to preach to a full room. This last month, we've had uh, several, two Sundays, and probably today, we'll hit over 500 with our online presence and in person. But right now, we're hitting where we were pre-pandemic, by the grace of God. That matters to me, like you would not believe uh, church is healthy and vibrant because of the grace of God and the Spirit of God. And God is doing a great work. We've got a great staff. We've got great support staff. Uh, I just love all of you all. And welcome back. If you're a guest today... Hold on tight because I'm preaching through the Sermon on the Mount and I've, we've tackled some tough subjects. But what I've noticed when I preach through Romans and I'm preaching through the Sermon on the Mount, you guys just absorb it and you take it in. And I so appreciate you all and, and, and how you relate to this content because this is Jesus at, you know, he, he, someone, uh, retired this week, and he was the greatest of all time. Anybody know who that was? We don't say that name in Indiana. <laughs> There's a football game next weekend. Some of you are Casey Chiefs fans, and some of the others of you are who? Eagles fans. Aren't you grateful that, that the kingdom of God is greater than <laughs> football? Anyway, hey, if you're joining us online today and you're in Florida, which I know I've got some folks there, hey, you know, the weather is really nice here. I wish you were here. (laughs) And it's just not the same. So I'm sending that message to you in Florida. Now this is Jesus at his absolute best. You can't improve. I can't preach it any better than Jesus did. In fact, it preaches preaches itself. The topics that he handles were relevant and current in the first century, and they are relevant and current in here and now, where we are in 2023. And Jesus is preaching that this is what the world was meant to be before Christ. Adam and Eve and the fall of mankind before sin and devastation of sin and brokenness occurred, and and we're going. You're going to be joining. I preached through Matthew five, and if you're you're just here today, we've got all of Matthew five covered. In fact, we had somebody on Facebook this week engaged because uh, we posted. John posted online. Uh, God d- despises divorce, but he does not dis- despise divorced people. And it's interesting to read that chain. And I'm hoping that you hear something that is helpful and hopeful as well as otherworldly in how I preach this. And if I'm not communicating that, then I am failing because that's what Jesus did. Now, if you turn in your tablets or on your, in your Bibles or on your phones, Matthew chapter six, verse one is where we're going today. And Jesus says this, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. The idea is about the motivation of our hearts. And at the same time, helping other people feels good and it is addictive but we need to be aware of our motivation as we do that because we can be looking for other people's approval rather than God's approval and we got to remind ourselves what are we doing this for And in verses 2 through 4 of this passage, it says, Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, who do you want to reward you? Don't you want God to reward you? His reward will be even greater. What had happened in Jesus' day and can happen today is that almsgiving had turned into a performance. It was about everyone else rather than what they were doing. Almsgiving had become a performance. And our motivation should not be for our self promotion and praise. If you notice in our church, there's not, there's an immemorial plaque that people have given to in memory of. But beyond that, there's not a whole lot of stuff around here that has a lot of people's names on it because it's not about them, it's about God. And then Jesus goes back and he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. See, in that day and age, there wasn't a stock market. There was no cryptocurrency. And so what they had, the treasures that they had, could spoil, they could decay And and in fact, it was a very here and now kind of life. If the crop was good, then maybe it was good. But but even the harvest could spoil and decay. And so they traded in commodities. And there were no safe deposit boxes. There were, were no internal factors and federal regulations that were going on. It was a different world. And, and when we think about this, and by the way, I asked for volunteers from our staff to preach this sermon, and guess what? Nobody volunteered. Because a lot of preachers don't preach about money, and, and, and it's difficult. But, but folks, Jesus does because it's relevant, and it gets to the matter of the heart. But we've got to balance this teaching with what it says in Proverbs 13. It says, a good person will leave an inheritance for their children's children. So how do I leave an inheritance and live in this world and honor God and serve Him and not money? That's the challenge. And Jesus goes on in verse 20. He says, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal Now, the last time I noticed, there weren't shares of the kingdom of God. There weren't shares of the kingdom of heaven on the New York Stock Exchange. Not there. So, how do we do that? Well, Jesus is going to explain. And he goes on, if you remember... Remember the problem with hoarding that Jesus discusses in his parable about the wealthy man who, who was so blessed of God that his barns that he had could not contain it. And so he had to build bigger barns. And Jesus says in that passage, you know, thou fool, because you've, you've not invested wisely, because you've not done what you should have done, that your life is going to be, you know, taken from you this night. And then he wraps up that parable with verse 21 in Luke chapter 12. And it says, he says this. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So how do we become rich toward God? Hold that in place in your mind. Then he goes on in verse 21. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where your treasure is. So what? The question to me, when you think about it, is where do I want my heart to be? Where do I want my heart to be? And I can't remember where I saw it, but, but I saw like this unscalable wall. And it was, I don't know, a movie or commercial or something. And there were kids that, that wanted to get on the other side. And one kid threw all his stuff over the wall. And the other kids looked at him and said, well, how are you going to get there? And, and, and the kid said, I don't know how I am going to get there, but you know what? All my stuff's over there, so I'm going over that wall. He was going to figure out a way. And that's sort of the way our hearts are, is we throw that heart over the wall, and we want to follow that heart wherever it will go. So, So we need to be wherever I want my heart to be. I need to in, proactively, intentionally, painstakingly send my treasure there as well. And so think of that as throwing your treasure over the wall and your heart is going to follow it. Now here's a really tough teaching. That, As many times as I read the Bible, as many times I've preached on money and giving, I've never really thought about this passage of Scripture in the way that it has been revealed to me this week as I've studied it. In verses 22 and 23 of this passage. And this is a hard teaching. I just want you to know that. It's a little intimidating, it's a little bit scary, but this is what Jesus said. Blame Jesus, okay? The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now, I want you to think about this. Notice, if your eye is healthy, and and the translation for healthy in this passage is generous. That is really what this word means. So what Jesus is saying in this passage, in what he's saying is, is, if our eye is generous, then our life will be generous and it will be full of life. But if our eye is not generous, then our life will not be full of life, but it will be full of darkness and death. And so he makes a very, very clear point here that the first century believers, the first century followers of Jesus would have heard and understood. Not like me, I'm just now getting it. But then he goes on and he is very clear. He says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Wow. There's no gray area, in other words. And and you've got to understand, the idea of master is single ownership. You only serve one. And that is full time service. So, to make the point clear, Jesus is saying either you serve God or you serve money. You do not serve both. So, then you've got to ask the question who or what has control over my life, God or money? Where do I find security? Do we find security in God or my money? Do you worry about money? Do you have anxiety about money? And you might say, well, Chris, I just barely get by. I am just trying to provide. And really, that's what we all are doing, isn't it? We are just trying to provide for our family, for for the event, for retirement. And, And we've got to counterbalance this with Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. We can overspend, and we can owe, and we can owe, and we can owe. The APA says it this way, the top cause of stress in the United States is the subject of money, and they reported at 72% of the time, Americans stressed about money at least once during the previous month. So what's that say? That all of us stress and have some anxiety in regard to finance. And at the same time, in America, financial independence is a term that we love. We love that idea of being independently wealthy. So we don't have to work for anybody, and we can have what we have, and we don't have to deal with people. Isn't that what it's all about? Now, let me tell you, there's three ways to be financially independent. And this is not in the Word of God. This is Chris's, Chris's uh, opinion. So take it or leave it, okay? There are things that I say that I preface like that. First of all, one way to be financially independent is to win the lottery. I'm not endorsing it. I just want you to know when it came to Indiana, I started investing a dollar a day in a 4% annuity. And by the way, I took a couple thousand dollars out of it in between times because I was going through a rough patch financially. And guess what? i got over $17,000, $18,000. And they don't contact me. They haven't contacted me for about 10 years now because they don't bill me because they don't want to pay 4% on the money because you can't find 4% money anywhere, can you? No. So win the lottery. Don't endorse it. You can try Second of all, choose who your parents and your grandparents are going to be because you need to inherit some money. How well will that work? It won't. And finally, the third way that maybe some of us are trying and it's not working so well for you is work yourself to death so you can leave it all behind, right? That's no way to live. That's no way to live. Now, there's another alternative, a third alternative, financial health. And that's what I hope you can get to, that you think about and you strive for. It's a state of one's personal monetary affairs, that you strive for financial health, that you give, that you save, that you live, you take that trip to Disneyland or whatever you want to do, but also you're responsible toward God and his kingdom and investing there as well. So people who have financial health surprisingly it confirms what jesus said about the eye being generous and the whole life having a whole life having light or the eye not being gen- generous or stingy and the whole life being in darkness people who have financial health are just healthier in every other area of their life the anxiety and the worry is reduced. They put their faith and their trust in God emotionally, physically, psychologically. However, they are healthier. So I want to talk about a couple of principles really quick today. First one is this. We don't want to worship our wealth. We want to worship with our wealth. Worship with our wealth. And I noticed two extremes in relationship to this in in Christianity. The one extreme is the prosperity theology. The name it, claim it, that if you believe in God, God's going to give you Lamborghinis and Lexuses and whatever, you know, luxury car and jets and, you know, McMansions or whatever. That's prosperity theology. I don't think that washes with Scripture. My, my, My Jesus was a carpenter who died on a cross who never had anything. So that didn't work. And the other one is the theolo- or, pros- or poverty theology which basically says if you're poor then you're godly which I know a lot of poor people that are obsessed with money that that can't serve anything but trying to survive and that's not healthy either. Now here's a third alternative I'd like you for you to consider is generosity theology to be good stewards of the Temporary wealth that passes through our hands like water shaping the stones in a river so the dollars shape our hearts that flow in and out of our accounts. The idea is to give and to save and to live because we all want to hear at the end, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the kingdom of God. And the second principle I want to look at is this. Being rich toward God means trusting his promises more than my impulses. Trusting his promises more than my impulses. That's important. Paul says it this way in Second Corinthians chapter 9. He says this, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So if I am sowing seed, I want to throw it out there wide and far. Don't you? And then that begs the question, so how do I give? And Paul goes on to answer that question. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That's between you and God. If you feel under compulsion, if you feel forced, don't do it. If you can't do it cheerfully and with the right attitude of heart that you've received from God and therefore you give joyfully, then do it. Verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound in you so that having all sufficiency in all times, or in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. That's what we want to do, isn't it? To serve others, to glorify God. And then Paul finishes with this. He says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be, listen to this, enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. I've said several times that uh, some of the community organizations that we help and support, they ask, well, how is our uh, church? How come your church is so generous? And, and I, I have to say that they follow Jesus, and, and they are moved of heart and soul to give. That's what you guys do. Some churches can't give. Some people can't give because they don't have it in their heart. And, 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 and it's dark. And churches are dying. I've talked to churches that couldn't possibly do anything like that. Now, there are two types of giving. Number one is impulsive giving. Now that's, uh, you know, when you see a commercial and it's about abused animals, because pets, pets move us emotionally. And, and the other thing that moves emotionally is pictures of children that are impoverished, and that are poor children. That moves us emotionally. We don't want to see any starving children or any starving dogs or cats. Now, cats are pushing it, but, but we care. <laughs> We care. It moves us emotionally. And the way we impulsively give is spontaneous, sporadic, and sparingly. We overestimate when we give spontaneously in that way. But there's another way to give, which I believe is biblical. It's premeditated. Now, premeditated is a bad word because what do you associate premeditated with? Exactly. Exactly. But to be premeditated in your giving is to be generous before your circumstances talk you out of it. You know how that works? Oh my gosh, I I can't, I mean, I've got this and this and this. But if you make that choice before you have this and this and this, you go ahead and do that. And then God is the answer in that equation. And, And what premeditated giving is, it's priority, it's percentage, and it's progressive. And I can tell you, folks, that I've known a lot a lot of people that give generously. And they're like investors. And, I, I, and if you've heard me preach on this before, you know what I'm going to say. Is they just look at uh, God and uh, they look at his church and they look at organizations. And they kick the tires and they check it out and see how that money and, and that giving is being used. And they give to where it's multiplied because they invest in the kingdom of God. And there's three different types of giving in the Bible. It's almsgiving, which is giving to need. And a lot of that is spontaneous. Now, all all those things that move us emotionally are things that we need to give to. We need to check it out. And then there's offerings where something's going on and you are just moved and it's a call of God to give in a in, in a different way. And then there are tithes. I'm going to spend a little bit of time here with tithes tithe is just a tenth. In the Old Testament, the tithe, uh, first time we see the tithe is Abraham when he comes from the battle of Sodom and Gomorrah and he rescues Lot. He meets this guy called Melchizedek, and he's a type of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. He's a high priest of Salem and, and, and Abraham gives a tithe to Melchizedek. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never met a person that I walk up to and and meet and just say, hmm, I'm just going to give 10% of all I'm worth to you. Ain't going to happen. But Abraham did. Isn't that amazing? He was a man of faith. You see, the tithe is premeditated and it's proportionate. And you might ask, why is 10% so heart-shaped? This is just an opinion here. 10% is not enough to ruin you, but it is enough to get your attention. It's throwing that heart over that fence and saying, I don't know how I'm going to do it without it, but God's going going to make it happen. In Malachi 3, Malachi writes, one last Old Testament prophets before the 400 years of silence, he writes, bring the full tithe to the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. God doesn't say put me to the test anywhere else in scripture. In fact, we're not to test God. But he calls us to test him in this. And I guarantee you 100% that he is faithful every time. You see, the tithe is the example, but the cross is the standard. Tithe is the example. It's only 10%. but The cross is the standard. Jesus sacrificed it all for us. Now I'll read something to you, and I don't like to read things, but I, you, you've got to hear this. This is good. In fact, I was preaching to a bunch of grandmas this morning, first service, and they loved it. You'll get it in a minute. John Orbert, a favorite writer of mine who's a pastor. When he was young, his grandma taught him how to play Monopoly. You guys have a favorite moving piece that you played as a kid? I like the race car, the top hat, and the wheelbarrow. You remember that? Now... When he was young, his grandma taught him how to play Monopoly. He understood that the name of the game, or she understood that the name of the game is to acquire. She would accumulate everything she could, and eventually she became the master of the board. And eventually, every time, she would take my last dollar, and I would quit in utter defeat. And then she would always say the same thing to me. She would look at me, and she would say, one day you'll learn to play the game. One day, or one summer, John played a lot of Monopoly with his friends and neighborhood kids, and he indeed learned to play the game. He says, I came to understand that the only way to win is to make a total commitment to acquisition. I came to understand that money and possessions, that's the way you keep score. And by the end of that summer, I was more ruthless than my grandmother. How proud he is. I was ready to bend the rules if I had to, to win that game, and I sat down with her to play that fall. I took everything she had. I destroyed her financially and psychologically. I watched her give her last dollar and quit in utter defeat. Of course, grandma being grandma, she had one more lesson up her sleeve. Then she said, now it all goes back into the box. All those houses and hotels, all the railroads and utility companies, all the that property and all that wonderful money, now it all goes back into the box. John writes, I didn't want it to go back into the box. Now, she said, none of it was really yours. You got all heated up about it for a while, but it, it was around a long time before you sat down at the board, and it will be here after you're gone. Players come and players go. But it all goes back in the box. Houses and cars, titles and clothes, filled barns, folded portfolios, even your body. At first, John was angry, but eventually he realized, everything I clutch and consume and hoard is going to go back in the box. Thy kingdom come on earth. Let's pray. Father God, we know that it will all go back into the box. And Father, we just pray that you will lead us, because this is very personal. And and we want to be faithful. We want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the kingdom of heaven. We want our eye to be healthy, that our life will be full of light, that others might know Jesus. But Father, it's it's so anxiety-producing. It's so worrisome to live in the world that we live in. But Father, we pray that you will make us faithful. We'll put our faith and our trust in you, that you will be who we worship and not our wealth. Father, we just... Pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you please stand as we sing?